All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for checking out another episode of my podcast. Today I have Jason Schultz. Hello. Hi, Jason. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank Hi. you, Jason. I've met you on LinkedIn, and, and the reason I wanted to get on a call and talk to you today was to understand from a professional like yourself what video creation is all about. Video content creation is so popular. LinkedIn just released it maybe less than a year ago, I think, um, and it's a native video upload. Other platforms have had it for a while. You know, video is starting to become the more natural way for us to communicate because things can get lost in words, things can get lost in sort of like imagery, but video gives you that free format content. So I'd just love to give the audience a little bit of background. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do um, from a video marketing perspective. So, all right. Uh, so I've been a video marketing professional for the past 20 years. And uh, I came up in a very traditional type mindset of video production. Um, I was always an outlier a little bit. And when I say outlier, I'd, all that means, it doesn't mean that I was like this, this amazing video director. All it means is that I early on saw that if I wanted to break away and create my own projects and direct my own projects, I had to make them myself. If I was going to stay on set and do like Ford commercials and work in the art department, there's very little vertical movement that happens there. Like once you get into a position, the production coordinator starts to call you and that's that, right? They call you for that position. You're kind of stuck in that. So I broke out on my own during the prosumer market when that was starting to emerge. And this will all tie into what your question was, I promise. So the prosumer market um, is the first time that, that very professional video production could start to happen for way less money and for a camera that cost around $3,500. And that was called the DVX 100. It was a video camera that filmed in a frame rate very similar to actual film. Prior to that, mm -hmm. all video cameras looked like soap operas or it was like home movies. Well, this video camera was for Panasonic, shot in 24 frames a second. <clears throat> so it allowed people like me that might not have the money to get this, you know, $100,000 Airyflex camera or whatever else, you know, everybody's using on these huge budget commercials to go and mimic that type of a look for different clients that were out there that might not have the big budget commercials. So I was able to launch a business off of that. First business was called like Faceman Productions. And so fast forward to today, I have seen a rapid increase in the technology that's available to people. Just, yeah, on your phone, 100%. Here. Yeah. We're talking on the computer right now. You know, this is, this, everyone's walking around with a 4K camera in their yeah. pocket. And a lot of the guys that have been in the industry, in the film and video industry for the past 20 years, doing traditional work like I have for the most part, try to fight against that. But I, I came into the industry during a transitional period, and I recognize this as something that is equal. Mm -hmm. So the skill set of video production, just knowing how to do that is not special anymore. It's not special. And I believe, I mean, I mean it's, it's something that's valuable, that's needed, but I don't expect somebody to pay me just because I know how to frame a shot anymore, to pay me just because I know how to light something. I'm not trying to fight against the tide of technology. I'm excited about it because what this does is it takes this powerful mold of communication, like you said, video, and puts it in the hands of a mass amount of people. And now there's a huge market of people that need to learn how to do it. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm pivoting my business. I'm still doing the traditional television commercials, web marketing videos, documentaries, music videos, those types of things, right? Um, but the budgets for those projects are coming down because technology is making resources available easier to people, right? right. Um, so I'm still doing those things, but I'm also seeing a huge market for people that need to know the very basics of how to edit video um, and how to, how to film things with, with their camera and how to frame shots. So I'm excited about this time right now. But to give you an answer about what I do in my background, yeah, Collective Age Creative is the name of my company. I have another company called Testimonials365.com, which is like a streamlined testimonial service that people do with their telephones. Uh, and then I'm, I'm... Hey guys, I just wanted to step in here real quick and let you know that we also have this full conversation live on YouTube where you can see the video of both of us talking. I tend to feel like video captures a little bit more human emotion and you get to really see what someone's reaction was to a statement. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to YouTube and search for Blossom Media Studio. Now let's get back to this episode. For my audience, I would love... In the process of building some of these video courses right now, uh, 
Very, yeah. very helpful. No, I think you touched on a couple of really good points right there that you took the opportunity where everybody was, you know, coming into the market space with everybody carrying around 4K camera. You said, hey, well, this is an opportunity where I can help a lot of these new content creators, people that want to be, you know, making video content, share my valuable skills because ultimately I have to, I have to probably ask you, you probably feel more fulfilled helping the individuals out, you know, because you've amassed all this knowledge and now it was limited to that one vertical like the ad space and commercial business but now you're able to talk to like people like myself on linkedin you know and and mm. give us feedback that's like of a very very different uh background and it really sort of brings that professionalism into the amateur filmmaking world or into the amateur content making world and i think that's a very very um selfless thing in a way i mean even though you're trying to you know build it as a business but i think that sure. speaks to your character that you're trying to help people figure this out, which which is really, really nice of you. And part, partly why I connected with you because I saw your videos were all about value. You were like, here's why you do this type of video to catch attention versus, you know, this type of a content. Just things that, you know, we've seen, but not everybody has the ability to put the dots together and then feel like they have an actionable step forward. So I guess I would ask you, my next question would be, what are the most common misunderstandings that you tend to come across when you're when you're working with clients that are not coming from the professional background and they are trying to be amateur content creators, especially with video? What are some misunderstandings that you tend to address? First and foremost, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, people overthink. Yeah. People overthink. And they not only do they overthink, but they they think that they need to have complicated equipment. Now, granted, I have a, you can't see it, but I have a C-stand over here with a, with a shotgun mic up here so you can get some good audio. I got a little reflector over here to try to, you know, um, to try to do a little fill light. The lighting's horrible in my, I'm using my computer, but I have all this equipment. You don't need any of it. All you need is a phone. Yes. Even the audio, even the audio on your phone, all the videos that I put on LinkedIn, I never use this microphone. The only reason that I put this up is because I knew that this was going to be a podcast type environment. I, I looked on your profile and I saw that your guests and people usually have microphones. So I was like, okay, I got to get them some better audio. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. My guests but will appreciate the, that. My audience will appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There doesn't need to be an echo. It doesn't need to sound like I'm in a silo. Um but that's the first thing is that people think that they need to spend all this money on this complicated equipment. You really, really don't. You have all you need with your phone. Uh, so don't overthink it. That's number one. Number two, people are weird about getting in front of the camera. And, you know, I totally, I understand that. If you look at my videos, even this angle right here is, is kind of a high, it's a high angle. Mm -hmm. Like I'm looking up a little bit um, because I'm not a super fan of my, of my profile. Right. I see. I don't feel like I have a super strong jawline. That's something that's bothered me since I was little. So all I did was I, I compensate for this and I find an angle that I'm happy with and comfortable with. And then I'm not thinking about my damn face. I'm thinking about looking at you and engaging with you or looking at the camera and engaging with my audience. Right, it right. removes, removes that insecurity and it allows you to focus on just being comfortable and being yourself and not overthinking. So uh, being uncomfortable about getting in front of the camera, find an angle that you're comfortable with right? Number one. And number two, just do it. Just start doing it. Um, and that way, if, if, if once you jump feet first into the situation, it's going to get way easier. I think where, where I would want to ask you next question around would be, so for me personally, like I found if I were to create content using video, it was very difficult for me to talk to a dead camera. And what I mean by that is if I'm just hitting record and I'm trying to put it on a tripod and I try to talk about a topic, the issue right. for me personally was that when I do that, I don't really have any feedback. Like even when you and I are having a dialogue together, even if you nod your head or if you say something or agree or disagree with something, then I know that what I'm speaking is at least making sense or it's not. And that could be partly because I'm not you know, enough practiced to be able to do this off the cuff every time by myself, but I, I do feel that I'm personally more comfortable to make content when I have someone behind the camera or across the camera that I can relate to and then the the camera is really you know projected towards me and so i've transitioned myself where i was for almost a year didn't want to make video content because of that reason where now i'm like okay i think i can do it if i have someone else to dialogue with or convert so i kind of worked around that but i'm curious does that come up for more people that you deal with where they're just like yeah i want to make video but i can't really just do it you know or they basically they need a director is, is yeah. kind of like what you're saying or they need somebody that, to kind of guide them you know um I haven't necessarily. And I think that that, that only is because this part of my career is so new. I see. I'm just now getting into coaching people and 
I mean, I'm talking when I say just now, I mean like within the past like two, three months. Um, I spent the last year in a different long story. Anyways, so I I haven't necessarily encountered a lot of people that have that issue, but I'm sure I will. That's a very, very good point. And I haven't really thought about that. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think people need a coach. I think it's like, okay, well, what do I talk about? What do I say? Um, I take that for granted because I'm, I'm so used to asking questions to people. I'm being behind the camera. So from an empathetic and emotionally intelligent point of view, yeah, man, I, I think that's a totally legitimate question. And You're I'm right. sure I'm going to encounter people that have that issue. What do I say to those people? I say, continue to practice. I say, maybe put, you know, put a dry erase board behind your phone with the topics that you want to talk about. So you don't lose your train of thought. That's a good um, point. You know, it's like a cue card and, uh, and, and practice a couple times. You know what I mean? And, and here's the other thing. If you really can't get over it, if you can't get past that point and you, and you have somebody in your household or you have somebody that you work with that can actually stand behind the camera for you or stand behind the phone for you and hold the piece of paper and just read the questions that you wrote down for yourself. That's another solution. You know what I mean? So there's, there's solutions to get around it. Right. Right. But that's awesome how you dealt with that. Yeah. I, for for me, that was, that was the <laughs> biggest challenge. I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm really that bad at speaking, but I get really intimidated when I want to talk to a camera by itself. And it's like, that's why I couldn't, couldn't create a ton more content because I was always like, okay, I may record this video and then I hated the editing portion, right? I'm sure that's another topic that I can talk to you about. <laughs> the, the, the editing piece is in itself like a whole nother, uh, you know, rabbit hole that you can go down. And, and now you're starting to like look at all the different pieces involved with post-production that, you know, I personally recently hired a, an editor a uh, friend of mine who, who I met across the seas again, you know, met him through referrals. He's a young guy trying to figure out how to help people that are trying to create content, you know, also looking for opportunity in this tough time where people are trying to do new things and they don't really know how. So he's offering his time and energy to do so. And that's helped me tremendously too, because then now I'm not sitting here thinking about how I'm going to do the final post-production and I can focus on what my strengths are, which is to have the communication with people, get the content and then have someone else handle it. But still, I mean, to a degree, it's difficult when you're working with other people, you might be able to talk about this. It's like what I consider to be like valuable or, you know, useful you have to either maybe really timeline it out or something or what kind of suggestions maybe you have, I'd be happy to hear. But then how do you work from a perspective of now you've created content and you want to now deliver it because you can't just record and then upload. Maybe you can, maybe you are that good, but not everybody. So sort of what are some of those best practices in your experience when somebody wants to work with a potential editor or maybe somebody wants to even work with you to create content? Like how do we go about that? So there's two ways you can do it. You can, if you have the time and you want to learn how to do it yourself, you can do it yourself. And there's that, this is one of the things that um, I'm building courses right now and it's bare bones, bare bones post-production, right? I, there's a, a lot of free uh, nonlinear editing system, just video editor systems mm -hmm. out there on the web that you can use right now that you could, if you Google free editing system or free editing software, a bunch is going to come up. Um, so if you want to take the time to learn those yourself, you can do that, right? You can upload it to your computer from your phone and you can trim it up and that'll take a little bit more time. So that's option number one. Option number two is you can find somebody like me. Uh, and there's a lot of like me's out there uh, that, that you can technology today. You take the video with your phone. I give you a unique Dropbox link. You press a button, you upload the, the, video direct from your phone right when you're done and then i chop it together for you and within a day you have it back and it's subtitled and it's had it's got a headline up top um, music is added to it so there's there's a there's those are the two main options that i would say is like you know if you if you need if, if you're looking to get it from your phone to upload ready google free software or find somebody that knows how to do it and is affordable I've personally done both. And the second option where you're working with somebody, I'm curious, I want to learn a little bit because I've had some challenges in the past when I work with different editors, even with, you know, somebody you knew you when you work with somebody brand new, there's a little bit of a time of ramp up and you what you like versus how you want the post production to be done. Like, what are some best practices around that? Like, how can the person who gave you the video also feel comfortable when you when you edit it back? You know, I mean, maybe you haven't worked with you personally, but maybe you have your own sort of director eye where you're like, yeah, I understand where this is sort of the punchline. And this is where, you know, this is all sort of the fluff where it's not so important and engaging. 
primarily because of your experience, you might have that. But like for other people that that maybe don't see it from that perspective, like what are some are there any are there any rules of thumb that 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 you use to maybe dissect a video that's an hour long to then see like, okay, well, where can I really, you know, or do you have to watch the whole video? Like from a director perspective, I guess I'm, that's kind of where I'm asking and sort of into your process. And I'm very curious to see how a professional really goes about it. That's a good question. And it's something that, <clears throat> so over two decades, you develop an instinct for storytelling, right? And uh, my main source of, of videos that I've been doing have been documentary style, you know, where I interview somebody and I go, I go into the interview, and so this is, this is the answer, this is the advice I would give you, is go into every video with bullet points that you wanna hit. Mm-hmm. If I'm gonna go into an interview with somebody, and I've done th- probably thousands, for sure, of interviews, or cl- probably close to a thousand, I researched the person enough, at least early in my career, I did this, to know enough about them to where I could create bullet-pointed questions that would guide the narrative that I was going for. Mm-hmm. And then I would take those answers and I would cut them into the story. Uh, most recently, I have a client called Fit Team and uh, they do, they, they're they a direct selling company. It's a health and wellness company. And the top distributors in their company are called Diamond Executives. And, and once they hit this rank, Fit Team pays us to go out and interview them and create this short form documentary with them. And so going into those types of situations, I say, okay, well, what's the context? Okay, well, well, number one, this is Fit Team's paying for this. So I need to make sure that I talk about the company of Fit Team. But who is this person? So I have a a 30-minute phone interview with them prior. And then once I go and sit down in front of them, I'm prepared with my stuff to where, yes, I do an hour-long interview with them. But I know that once I'm done, I'm going to be able to chop that into an eight-minute short-form documentary that hits on these main bullet points that I outlined based on knowing the client of fit team and knowing the person on the phone interview. Mm-hmm. So a uh, very short answer TLDR answer is make sure you do your, do your due diligence prior to going into any type of a video, know what your goal is, know the point that you're trying to get across. Right. Um, and know what the end deliverable is, know where you're going with this video. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, if you personally are going to be sending off footage to an editor who wasn't involved in capturing any of the footage with you, make sure that you you convey what the important bullet points are that need to be in 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 the the message delivered piece. Um, So that's that's what I would say. And that's for me personally, it's finding an editor that knows how to tell a story the right way and knows how to hit emotional cues and has that instinct, that narrative instinct to be able to extract the emotion and the proper bullet points without having to handhold or go through 15 different revisions is a very hard thing to do. It's it's prevented me, and I take responsibility for this also, but I haven't fully scaled to the point that I'd like to, probably because I'm a little bit of a, a control freak when it comes to the creative and the narrative, but also because I haven't necessarily been able to find an editor out there that I feel hits those and, and that I feel is... You know, there's very few. Uh, I think it's a tough craft because, well, also one thing I would like to point out, at least in my experience, and maybe you have something to share about this. A lot of times what people are doing is uh, creating a piece of content, right? And and like you said, it's like the editor might not be involved in the content creation portion. So, you, you know, your conversation could have gone one way or the other way. And now you're handing it off to this third party that is potentially supposed to figure out, you know, what is the right place, uh, you know, in this moment to capture what were the right sort of cues to, you know, put in. But that's really like it's up to like the experience of the editor. Like, for for example, for yourself, you said, you know, you've been in the industry long enough to know sort of what hits and what doesn't work. And so you always look at it from that lens. But nowadays, uh, you, you know about Gary Vee. I'm sure you do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, his his basically strategy for content creation is to do like a pyramid where you have one piece of content that's a long format video, like something like our conversation. And then mm-hmm. within this conversation, pretty much all the different questions that I've asked you could become their own standalone pieces of content. Yes. And, and, and one thing that I think that gets lost in that it's easy to do if you are someone like Gary Vee and you're very well articulated, you have all your sort of messaging in line and you have a team behind you. And and not to knock on him, I know he talks about he's done it in his by himself too in the past, which is great. But for most people, including myself, I think what happens is you tend to deliver something 
And then there's a reverse engineering process that has to take place. Someone has to actually spend the time to understand what you were about and then how and then how to really snip this up where it still makes somewhat contextual sense. So it's almost like I don't know what, what a better way to say it. It's like you're polishing a turd, you know, you're looking at sometimes that like, wow, how do I make this little video into something that it's kind of not? So I guess when I look at editing, it's like I'm always thinking about it in that sense. It's like for someone uh, like my wife, who English is like her fifth language, she mm-hmm. obviously stumbles a lot when she talks. And if she post produces it herself, like she can chop out a lot of that, that you know, uh, mm, confusion, this and that. But uh, for most people like that are not articulated, it's like you are kind of like doing something that's a vulnerable activity. You're putting yourself out there unedited. And so it, I don't know, like it takes somebody that with a very keen eye, someone experienced to be able to look at that and then figure out what's the real gold underlying all the fluff, right? And and I've, I still for myself haven't been able to really find out how you do that other than maybe listen to it. And then if it hits you in a, in a sort of a deeper way or if it connects with you, then maybe you isolate those moments out of a clip. But is there anything about your process that you can maybe articulate or share about how you're able to kind of pick out moments from, from a longer formatted content? So there's a couple things I want to touch on. Please. First, so for me personally, usually with all the projects in my career, I've, I've written, I've written, produced, directed, and edited. So I've like start to finish. I'm involved in the process. Gotcha. So I'm already in, immersed in it. Now I did edit a long form documentary, a feature length documentary that I was not involved in the interview process in the story. It's a documentary called do it for Daniel. And it's about this, uh, a real short, it's basically to raise awareness for mental mental illness and remove the stigma stigma behind it. And it's about this um, person, Daniel Olson. He was a star football player in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, his father was the football coach of the Ishpeming uh, Hematites. And uh, but on the surface, Daniel was popular, had a girlfriend, good-looking kid, star, superstar, one of the best football players in, in, in uh, the Upper Peninsula's history. Um, but suffered from depression. His parents knew it from the time he was 15 and ended up dying by suicide um, two weeks before the 2012 football season that his father had to go coach. And his team that wasn't supposed to do anything went to the state championship and beat Detroit Loyola at Ford Field because they were motivated and then their whole mantra was do it for Daniel. I got all that footage and all of the interviews and I had a couple bullet points that I had to go on. But the only way, and I, and I crafted the whole story based on the bullet points, but it was me in the editing room. And, and it took me about three months, maybe four. And the only way that I could achieve any level of story that would have, that would take a story that with that gravity, because I mean, this is an extremely emotional story, yeah. was to try to take my empathy level and put it on full tilt. And every single person that was in front of the camera that I that I was watching, and I would have to watch the whole interview, right? You can't like try, if you're handed an interview and you don't watch the whole thing before you edit it, shame on you. You need to hear the whole thing. And if you weren't there for the process, you need to sit down and you watch it like you were there in the room. And you, and you need to take your empathy level and try to, try to get inside the mindset of the person who's speaking so you understand the points that they're trying to get across. That's so that's the the biggest I would say one of the biggest attributes for a really good editor if he's going to take that material and he wasn't involved in it or she wasn't involved in it they need to have emotional intelligence that and they need to have an empathy that's above average. Mm. To be able to put themselves inside the head and the mindset of the person that's talking so that they can do that person justice. So that they can take that information and tell that person's story the right way. hundred so, <laughs> percent. I've actually had to explain that to a couple of editors that I've worked with because a lot of times they just want you to tell them exactly where the good parts are. But I'm like, dude, it's, it's a conversation. There's a lot of context there. And unfortunately you're going to have to spend the time to do it. But then, you know, when we get to the hourly work rate type of people doing this uh, new gig, it's like, you know, and that's a cost at the time, but it, you know, the cost aside, like really, what is, what is the end goal here? If you're trying to make a good project, you know, the time is, 
is going to be, of course, spent, you know, like, I, I'd be curious to, like, have you talk about sort of this process, maybe even just the last documentary that you talked about, how long does that usually take you to kind of get the whole sense? And of course, your experience, so there might be some time that you can, uh, you know, cut there. But, you know, like, on average, like to make something from beginning to end, like how much time and dedication does it take? And, and maybe even frustrations, if you can talk about, you know, that might come up throughout the process. It's emotionally taxing. Yeah. I'll say that 100%. Editing is probably one of the most emotionally exhausting experiences to the point where like there was a time in my life for about three years where I almost was like, oh, you know what? I don't want to edit anything anymore. <laughs> I just want to direct and I want to oversee the project because <clears throat> there's no time limit. You can't put a time frame on it. It's very hard. You have to, you have to do it so consistently and so much that it almost becomes you hit a certain point where you don't have to work so hard to put yourself in that mindset. But if you're, if you have like a month in between your, your, your editing projects, it takes a while to get back into that mind frame to where you can just sit down in front of content and see the story. So the more you do it as with anything, right, the, you're creating those neural pathways in your brain, the more you do it, the, the better you get at it. But there's no way I could I could say that there's a, a specific amount of time that it takes. Once you get into it, though, it's the flow. Once you get into that mind frame, you go. You start going. But can I tell you how long? There have been projects where I've sat down in front of the computer and spent like six, seven hours and gotten like 30 seconds of content edited. Because I you're going back and forth and you're looking at the footage and you're, and you're trying to see the story. But once you see it, you know it. I don't know. There's no other, I can't really explain it. It's a, it's kind of like a gut it's feeling. It's an emotional most, maybe sort of a feeling or something that comes up and you just, you just sense it, but you can't necessarily articulate. I can understand that. And I think that's kind of what I was hinting at with my, with my sort of commentary about it. It's like, I feel in my experience, editing has to come where if somebody says something and it really resonated or they put a sentence together that just was like an aha moment, you know, those are sort of like the key portions where as an editor, you should be able to kind of look at it from an emotional level rather than just from an operational, okay, slice here, chop here, subtitle, editing, done. Because, you know, I don't know if you've seen that there's plenty of people who can now afford to get that Gary V style look. And, and, you know, going back to my earlier statement, you, there's a lot of them are just polished pieces of turd. Like there's no real substance just because it has subtitles and it can grab your attention doesn't mean the person's actually talking about something meaningful or useful, you know, and, and I don't know if I want to really blame that on the content creator or is do I want to really talk about the editing of that, you know, and like how did that person really put it together? Did they understand what that person was talking about? Uh, so I feel like there is a, there is a real need at this stage in the game where it's a pivoting portion where we need folks like you who've been veterans of the industry and know the best practices because, you know, let's be honest, 10, 15 years ago, we were all still staring at TVs in the last decade. Now it's all phones, tablets, and God, everything else in between, right? Your, your car has now screens bigger than sometimes, you know, your phone and whatnot. It's, it's like, look at the Tesla screen, right? It's huge. Yeah, man. <laughs> so it's like, a, it's like we're surrounded by all these screens where you're going to be able to communicate with other human beings and we almost need sort of that skill set that that has been there in production for decades since we've done media production on TV to now come into the internet, right, and come into more people's lives because that is where people consume most of their content today is through the through the World Wide Web, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, large part of why I wanted to talk to you was because of this is like, hey, how do we make better content and, and storytelling and all that stuff, you know, and and I'm curious now more about you as a person, what makes you kind of gravitate towards this or maybe what put you in this direction like how did you get involved with all the annoying different pieces involved with the video creation and content creation in general because it's not easy you know your audio is wrong or it's not loud enough and the video lighting like there's so many little little things that no one really thinks about of course we, we preface this conversation by saying all you need is a phone but how do you <laughs> kind of stay you know on the right track as you are continuing on bigger projects or, or, or on projects that, you know, they might seem endless at some point, you know, how does someone like you stay motivated to continue and how did you even get started in it? So how did I get started? <clears throat> well, I mean, growing up, creativity was always my favorite thing. Um, and I, so I graduated my high school with a 3.98 grade average. I was a salutatorian. I graduated in 1996 and in the nineties, especially the mid nineties, everybody was telling you, you got to go be an engineer. 
Mm. Uh, go be an engineer. You go to school for four years. You're going to come out. You get a good, a good job. Blah, blah, blah. And so <clears throat> I always wanted to go into film. I always wanted to go into film and video just because I was a huge fan of movies. My mother used to take me to the movies when I was little. I just loved that feeling of absorbing a story. And I really wanted to be able to craft my own. Mm. And um, I always liked creative writing in high school. And I always enjoyed the visual mediums. I was never a really good artist when it came to like painting or drawing or anything like that. But I always enjoyed the, the visual arts extremely. But I went to school for um, my first year. I went up way up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I went to school for mechanical engineering um, and I was miserable. I hated it. I listened to what everybody said. I tried it and it sucked. And so I transferred to U of M uh, to go into film after my first year, much to the dismay of some family members. My parents were very supportive. They really were. Uh, they always said, you know, we believe in you. If you're going to, if you're going to go for something, we believe that you're going to be able to excel at it. So, uh, I went, to, I went to school for film. At that time, it was all theory. There was very little production. It's totally different now. So when I graduated, I didn't really know anything. I knew how I could, I could analyze the hell out of a movie. I could analyze Martin Scorsese or Woody Allen or, you know, I could write a halfway shitty script. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I could do all that, but the actual art of filmmaking. Um, so I got an internship right out of um, college. I, so they had this thing called a Michigan Production Guide. And or each state has a production guide where it lists every single production company. And I sent out a resume and a cover letter to like 100 different production companies. There was only one that I wanted to get a call back from. And it was the only one that called me back. Wow. It was a company that um, did it. And I'm a big hip hop fan. Me too. Did a doc did a documentary on Eminem. Uh, it was the Eminem all access European tour. And, and I, I, that was a only company I wanted to work with. And they called the owner called me in for an interview. And it turns out that where this guy operated his business out of was also Eminem's recording studio. So my first internship out of college was spending a year watching Eminem and Obi Trice and Busta Rhymes came. I mean, wow. I got to see these guys make music every single day. Um, but the guy I was working under wasn't a good dude. He had the opportunity to be a mentor for me and instead would just hammer me down all the time in a very, I mean, it was like psychologically abuse. He was just a bad dude. And I, he probably didn't even realize that he was doing it. Hopefully he's grown today, but he taught me how not to treat people, but he also gave me thick skin. So I lasted there about a year and a half, but I mean, closer to a year before I finally left. But while I was there, I met a, a fellow intern, this guy named Matt Dudley. And, uh, let me tell you how bad my, my boss was. He made me, my fellow intern, he didn't like Matt, so he made me fire Matt. He made me do it. My oh. friend that I've been working with. What a jerk. Anyways, so the day I leave this studio, the day I'm fed up, I'm, I'm leaving. I drive away and I stop at a stoplight. And who pulls up next to me but Matt? And uh, he's like, hey, dude, roll down your window. He's like, what's up? I hadn't seen him in like six months. And he says, hey, my buddy is doing a concert and I'm thinking about filming it. Do you want to film it with me? And that's how we've worked together for the first time. And this is 20 years ago. And we still work together today. I wow. travel around. I met my wife through Matt. Wow. If I would not have stopped at that stop, if he would have pulled up next to me, I still believe I would have met my wife. And I'll tell you synchronicity and all this other stuff. Because when I was in the studio watching Marshall Mathers make music, in a completely weird, unrelated universe craziness, she was at Marshall's house playing dodgeball with Marshall's little brother because Kim Mathers was her like cousin. Wow. I didn't, and I didn't even meet Jessica, my wife, because of my affiliation at the studio. I met her because Jessica's sister is friends with Matt's Marine Corps brother. I mean, do you understand it's, the weirdness we, of that? We, yeah, our mind couldn't possibly <laughs> calculate that. It's just, it's, it's a universal beauty, you know? It's, it's amazing. It's nuts. So anyways, that's how I got into doing my own stuff was because I got that internship. I met Matt and then I left the studio one day and he pulled up next to me at a stoplight and me and him started doing our own thing together. Um, and then it was just, you know, like I said prior, uh, I was do when I left the studio, I was making my money as a production assistant and assistant art director on Ford and GM commercials and TV commercials. Huge market for that in Detroit. There still is. Of course. But I saw that if I wanted my own projects, I would have to step out away from that 
vertical model and do and create my own luck. And so that's what we did. And uh, that's how I got started. And, and I would say to anybody that's looking at trying to get into doing any type of filmmaking or video production, just go do it. You have a camera in your hand. All, narrative is king. Story is king. If you have a good story or you have good content, people will gravitate toward it. And, and if you do it enough, eventually you'll be able to ex- afford renting the expensive cameras and all that other so stuff. So you're saying uh, content is, or the, the, the substance of the content is much greater than the production value, at least it's when every- you're starting out. It's everything, right? If you don't have a good story, if you don't have good actual like context in the story, then you could have like the best camera, you know, $50,000 camera is not going to help tell the story any better, right? Like that's a mm-hmm. very, very good point, which I think a lot of us overlook because we are able to see so much polished content on social media today. Uh, we tend to think like, well, if I do something, it has to be this way. Otherwise, why do it at all? You know, and this is something that comes up as a common theme in my life and in many other people's lives when I talk to them. It's like, we don't want to take the smallest step towards something that we want to do because we have this fantasy, this idea about having it done a certain kind of way and we won't take it if it's not that way. And it's like, well, you really won't know until you do it. Never going to be perfect. (laughs) That's something that I used to suck at. I would always sit there. I would think I got to wait for it to be perfect. Um, you know, launching website. We, I used to have a marketing agency back in the day. We, I would sit there and I would be like, no, it's not perfect. And my business partner at the time would be like, you got to put it on the web and let it break. You got to move fast. And, and he's totally right. And it's the same analogy for life. Like you're saying, don't sit there and think that it's, oh, I got, it's going to be like this or all the situation and the circumstances have to be perfect before you take action. You, just do it. Yeah. Jump in and break. Don't be scared. It's like, don't, don't be scared to break like these turntables over. I saw, I'm not, I'm not like a good DJ. I can play for my four and five year old. They dance. They're like, yeah, yeah. but I'll, I'll have train wreck after train wreck. When I'm trying to make songs up here. I feel you, but man. That's what you have to do, man. Sometimes you just got to throw the song in and like work with the mistakes. That's the beauty of it. That's the part. It's the journey. That's where you learn stuff is when you break stuff. What's your take on um, how a lot of us suffer from judgment of, you know, when we put pieces of content out and we feel like, uh, well, a lot of times it's self-judgment, but there's always these ideas that we have about other people, what they're going to think about this content. You know, how do you deal with that? Because you've been a content creator for a long time now and and even around maybe anxiety of it, you know, like how, how to deal with that, because I'm sure that's come up in your career and I'd love to hear some of your wisdom if you've collected it down and distilled it into some points. <laughs> It took me like 15 years to get to the point where I would take criticism for what it was, which is a gift. Hmm. Um, even the bad stuff, even the, even the people who were jerks, you know what I mean? Um, because you're going to get people that say, oh, you suck or you look silly or I don't understand why, why are you saying that? That's ridiculous. You're going to get those people. Criticism is a gift simply because uh, it allows you to be more reflective and allows you to hear the voice of a wider range uh, audience. In essence, you're getting to know people better through their criticisms. And so early on when, when somebody would say, even if it was a little thing, I would take it personally. I, I, and, and it would make me mad and it's very hard to control and master your emotions. It's a lifelong journey, I believe. And, um, there's still that little twang that happens when I get some criticism, but I've, I've been able to train my brain to think, um, around it and to, and to see it for what it is and, and and to process it and take a step back and take a deep breath. Um, so, but that, 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 the ability to know how to deal with criticism does not alleviate the fear and anxiety that comes along prior to the criticism about being worried about the criticism. So, so you have to so know, <laughs> you have to know that it's going to, it's going to happen regardless. And when you put yourself out there, uh, the more that you do it, the easier it gets. And it's almost a very liberating feeling. Uh, my buddy, Chris Beck has a clothing company called District One Detroit, and he recently uh, released this. This uh, it's like a slogan, and it's zero f u x g v n, zero fucks given. Yeah, and it's a very very liberating mindset when you can put that up here and you can say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I care that they that they see that I'm a good person and that I'm putting my true genuine self out there. But if they have a problem with that, it says more about them than it does about me. Absolutely. That's a once, very good distinction. Sure. Once you can master that and you can have that kind of a no fear mentality, 
at that at the and the only way to do that is to continue to put yourself out there. At that point, you really start to break through uh, to where you can you can affect people in a positive manner. You can by being your genuine self. When you're putting on a charade and you're trying to be somebody different, which I've done a million times, everybody has. You try to be bigger than you are. You try to pretend like you're more than you are. When you're putting on that charade, you're not you're not giving the gift of your true genuine self, and you're not allowing yourself to also receive properly from the person or people that you're interacting with. Wow, that's very powerful. And I think you said a lot of good points in there. And I don't even think I could have put any put any of that better than you did. So I'll leave it at that and move on to the, my next sort of question around this is something that I think many young entrepreneurs who are trying to become uh, relevant in the video production space, or let's just say in the content creation space, you know, since you've actually built a business around it and you've been doing it for a while, a lot of times what I get to hear from people are like, you know, uh, I, went, I eventually want to just focus on like getting more business and, and, and hire people to do, like this is editors, right? Like even I want to create more time editing or people that are doing marketing, like, yeah, I want to spend more time collecting more clients rather than spending the time like doing the nitty gritty work. What would you say to those people? I, I have a strong feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'm curious, like well, how you approach someone who wants to build this business, but then isn't fully invested in the patience. <laughs> you oh. know? Yeah, um, that's just a, it's a sign of immaturity. That's all it is. It's a, and, and when I say immaturity, immaturity comes at all ages. Of course. Not, yeah. You know, it's not just um, because they're young. I've met plenty of younger people that are way smarter than me and um, way wiser than me. Uh, but you're not going to get you're not going to be able to build a business without putting in the work, period. That's it. Yeah, you know, I mean, you there are going to be people that are really good at scaling and really good at recognizing talent and putting teams together and being the leader of a team. Yeah. But unless you understand the different aspects that are necessary to make that business grow. Right. And, and down to you know, what it takes to clean the bathroom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless you understand those elements, you're you're not going to be able to scale as fast as you want to get. You got to get your hands dirty. If you're going to be a real leader, if you're going to be somebody that's looked at and respected, you got to be willing to lead from the front. So the only way to do that, don't, everybody would like to make passive income and focus on like just more clients and, oh, you do the hard stuff. You do all the stuff I don't like to do. Look, I had a, I had a very short 10 second video that I put up on LinkedIn a while ago. And it was like, uh, it's, it's the headline was, uh, the secret to success. And I had said, uh, I said, I discovered the long lost secret to success and I'm going to share it for free in this video. And the only thing I said, it's me in the chair. And I go, I didn't make, <laughs> what did I say? I didn't want to make this video, but I did it anyway. That's all I said. That was the whole, that's the secret to success. You have to do what you don't want to do. Sometimes you have right. to be willing to, you have to you have to do stuff now that you don't want to do so that later you can do a whole bunch of stuff that you want to do. You have to spend time now putting in the work and invest that time now so that later you can spend the time delegating. Essentially you're talking about the idea of sacrifice. It's a lot of times we forget that, you know, sacrifice is so essential to human beings existentially. Like when we evolved from, let's say, from monkeys or apes, whatever you want to look at, how did they discover the idea of saving for the future or actually sacrificing today the idea that you have to give up all of your pleasures, not all, maybe some of your pleasures for today, so you can have a better future, so you can negotiate with the outcome of the future because you spent the time today to do so. I think that really is one of the most fundamental basics that even myself, you know, as I like to think quite a bit, you know, I, I realized that my thoughts and my sort of imagination can get way too big and way too far out than what I can potentially even do in a decade uh, if I chose to, you know, be disciplined like crazy. So it's almost like you have to come back to be like, okay, well, what can I do today, you know, to line myself up? How can I set up my day today to give myself enough opportunities to, you know, or at, at bats, however you want to look at it, enough opportunity to, to hit the ball. And if you, if you do that, then over time, it's going to more metamorphosize into something much bigger than you thought. And and it really, like in my last conversation before this, I had, we we're talking about, you only get to see the journey once you look at it from, from you know, looking back, you don't get to really know what it was going to be like in the future. You have some ideas around it, but until you start doing it, you don't really know how it's going to turn itself out. And, and really the idea of sacrifice is, is, I think, what I'm hearing from, for the most part, uh, around building a business. No, absolutely. But I definitely don't want to, you know, and I, and I, I'm confident that you've 
share what I'm about to say is it's very important also though, that you're present during the journey and that you're enjoying the moments during the journey. So when you sacrifice, yes, but there's also gotta be balance in your life, right? Because life is happening right now and you never know when it's gonna be taken away. 100%. Every single day. So being present during that journey is fantastic. And yes, you're absolutely correct. You don't know what it's gonna look like. You have an idea where you're trying to go. You gotta have a destination, you gotta have that goal. But like the magic is in the process, is in that journey right there. And so, yeah, you don't know what it's gonna be until you look back on it, right? But but the, but being present in that moment and, and experiencing everything that's happening as it's happening and, and being able to extract joy from that process. If you're not extracting joy from that process on some level, then you need to change the process. Yeah. Um, so I, I just did, I just wanted to make sure that that point, you don't have to be miserable or sacrifice joys to achieve what your goals are. You're not going to be able to just, a lot of people like to be able to lay in the sun and, and, you know, have a couple of drinks, hang out by the pool all day long, whatever it is. You know what I mean? You can't do that all day. hundred percent. You have to put it in work. Balance. Yeah. The balance yeah. has to be there for you, for your sanity. You know, you have to, like, I, I agree with that. I think uh, part of, uh, I think I thank you for actually bringing that point up because that is something that can get lost in the translation where you think, okay, well, I just have to be miserable all the time. You know, and I've been there. I, when I, when I tried to uh, go for like a championship in bodybuilding, when I competed for a number you of won, years, you know, Say that again. I saw it on your LinkedIn profile. I'm like, dude, he's a championship bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah, I lost. I lost five, uh, six times. I lost second place, third place until I finally won. And what That's that great. really taught me was, dude, if you're not going to enjoy this for the long term, it's not going to work because you, you just, even if I took all the drugs you can imagine, I'm not going to get that big in a year because there is a, there is a physical limitation on your body. Like, you know, you can only grow so much in a given period of time that no matter what you do, it's not going to happen. So you have to realize that I'm going to have to come in every single week and push myself and, you know, make make this work for me and enjoy that and enjoy that painful process because that's where it's going to come out from. And but then at the same time, I burnt myself out doing that too much. And because of like, well, uh, I, I, I'm not going to say wasted, but in, in my mind, it felt like I wasted from 18 to 22 doing that rather than going out and partying as much or like dating as much or whatever that kids do at that age. But I felt that I, I got something so valuable from that journey that I can cherish and keep with me. It's, it's almost like the way I, I look at it for me now, it's like, I know that I have that ability. Like you can't, you can't be more disciplined than me if I want to outwork you in a competitive sense, but that doesn't fulfill me. Like I want everybody to win. I want you all to, you know, succeed and, and get yours from life by putting your work into it, but not at the expense of others. Right. So like I changed my mentality from, because when you're a competitive athlete or you're trying to compete, you're always thinking like, well, my win is only going to happen if other person loses or in their loss or in their defeat, whether it's emotional defeat, psychological defeat, or, you know, physical defeat, if you're a fighter or whatever. Right. So but I started to realize more of that, that that doesn't fulfill you at the end of the day, right? Like if you just, if everybody around you was just miserable and sad and you were like the one that's all happy, are you really going to be happy? You know, the logic just doesn't make sense. But in the mental thought process of like trying to be this dedicated individual that's trying to accomplish goals, you can get very carried away with that. And that can very much backfire on you and then destroy your whole long-term strategy. You know, so it's a very good point that you brought up, Jason. And, and it actually leads me to ask you more about sort of, existential questions around like do you at this point in your life and and i know this is something that changes and for many people do you feel that you're living a life of purpose and a sense of with a sense of meaning for you and if, if you can share any of that sure so first off i want to say that it says a lot about you that you were able to grow past that um uh, competition mentality where the only way you can win is if you lose because really when you lock arms with people and you help others rise up and that's the best way to come up with business and you start looking at ways that you can add value to more people that's where success comes in um, so I just wanted to stay, say that for me personally do I feel like I'm living a life uh, with purpose so I'm a Christian I have a, a strong faith in Jesus Christ and that walk has only grown for me as I've gotten older um, now my Christianity says love God and love others. Those two things right there. And it very blatantly says that those two things are the most important things of the religion. You have a lot of people out there that want to put themselves on a pedestal, point finger, judge, you're doing this wrong. You're, screw those people. I don't like those people. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, 
so for me personally, my Christianity and my faith walk is I listen to that and I open my day in prayer every single day. And that, that helps me see purpose. My purpose right now, I got, I have a newborn baby, April 2nd. Yeah. Oh. Tobias James was born. Congrats. I have a, thank you. I have a four-year-old and I have a six-year-old, uh, Donovan and, and Sophia. I, my purpose is to be a good father for them. Do, am I setting them a good example? Am I sitting down with them and engaging with them and making them feel like they're loved and that they're worthy? Am I being a good husband to my wife? Am I communicating the right way? Um, am I making sure that she's taken care of while she goes through this horrendous breastfeeding schedule where she's only sleeping every three hours? You know, am I being a good human? Am I being a mirror of the faith that I feel like, you know, uh, helps me grow of the, you know, those types of things are where my purpose and my meaning come in. And can I use the talents and gifts that God has blessed me with to help others live a fulfilling and meaningful life? And that's, that's what I want to do. That's why I, I taught for a, two years at a, a media art school years back. And it was one of the most fulfilling feelings ever that I've ever experienced is to sit there and look at somebody grow in that knowledge and to, to see them accomplish things and, and get closer to what their goals are. And that's why I'm excited about this recent pivot, right? With being able to, there's that word again, everyone uses pivot, especially now, um, to be able to teach people on the phones and things like that. It's a very fulfilling thing when you can help others. That's where the purpose is for me. And coming up, you know, it's funny, I'm going to be posting something on LinkedIn later today, and it's a screenshot of me. Um, in fact, I might be able to hold it up to the phone. So up to the camera so you can see it. And at first you might be like, what are you showing me, Jason? See, my phone keeps going off too. All right, there's me. Yeah. There's an extremely scantily clad young lady. Yeah. That's me directing a music video about 10 years ago. And I had just recently met my wife now, Jessica. And I, I knew the, the, the content of what this music video was going to be. And I knew that if she saw the video at the end, she might not want to date me, especially <laughs> this early on. So I, I hired her to come on and to, to be part of the video set. And she was in charge of wrangling all the girls to get on set. So she was there the whole time. That should tell you that the content of the video and the content of the song was provocative. In my walk, okay, in my growth, spiritually and with a purpose, I look back on certain projects that if they were presented to me today as the person that I am, I would never take those again. I would never take certain projects that have different types of content, things that are, you know, uh, uh, objectifying women and celebrating just, you know, the, the, the fact that they're physically beautiful when there's so many other elements to a human being than just physical things. Right. And so my, the whole point of this long answer is that purpose-wise, as you go further in your walk and as you become one with yourself and as you connect yourself with the universe and start to understand what fulfills you, you you're able to weed out a lot of the other noise and you're able to make decisions a lot quicker and, and pick your path. And the path becomes a lot more clear and a lot more fulfilling. And that's thankfully what's happened for me as I've walked through my career is I've been able to see the path that I should take a lot clear, more clear as I focus, you know, on my faith. And I think what I'm hearing also is that in a, in a, in a sentence, if you kept doing what is essential in your life, like right now, being a parent to your children and the loving husband and having your family, and then also teaching people, which is, which makes you happy and fulfilled about the skills that you already have, you know, in your tool belt and things that you can kind of articulate and explain to other people it's essentially what is life about, right? It's like you do what's essential. What What are the responsibilities that are in your purview, that in your capability? Like I have, I have a friend of mine who's 71 years old. One of the best things he's, he told me was like, you know, always think global, but act local because that's all you can do, right? So think as if you're responsible for everything in the world, but act, act locally, you know, do what you can do in your current state, in your environment. Like so for me, I'd really want to help people come out of any dark phases in their life and, and, you know, constantly contemplate what they've believed to be true. Because even if you have a very strong positive belief and it's hollow and it's not necessarily, you know, backed by some real genuine deep rooted wisdom, 
it's not going to last, right? So it's almost like you almost always have to uh, question your thoughts and your beliefs to to make sure that you're not just taking it on, you know, um, what's the word here? Unintentionally. They're not just being brought onto you by some outside force or some sort of, because, you know, look at how the how much content we consume every day. It's like, you, you how could you not be biased or influenced by some of these things unconsciously and, and let that, you know, permeate into different parts of your life? And I think the, the most important thing, really, that lesson that I'm learning in life is, you can you can always do more it always seems that way but you gotta just stick to doing what's essential and if you can negotiate with yourself in that sense you won't feel uneasy because you're like well yeah i am doing everything that i need to be doing i'm paying my bills i'm taking care of my family and my community and and on top of that i'm trying to build something that will last or maybe outlast myself like create content for example right if we kept going like this this video might be watched in a hundred years from now hopefully and uh, some of this stuff is timeless, hard work, sacrifice, you know, being patient, looking at your own beliefs, your own thought process and introspecting. All of these things are never going to go away as long as we're still humans. Now, Elon Musk has something else to say about that with Neuralink and making us more into cybernetic organisms. Uh, you know, that's all good. But that's all part of the human evolution. It is. So the, you, you raise a very good point. There's two two main things I want to say is number one, you know, as a content creator, right? You, you carry responsibility. This is, I believe this because the things that are consumed by people, and I don't, I'm not talking about my Lacroix up here. <laughs> I'm talking about the stuff that you let into your mind. Yeah. It affects you and it changes you. This, the sounds, the music that you hear, the, 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 the visuals that you see, the people that you listen to. Right. So, and, and as content has existed, the longer it's existed, the more aware the creators of said content, are of the psychology behind how people are affected by this kind mm. of thing. And it's, people are easily manipulated, easily, on a massive scale. And I think that if you're going to be a content creator, it's the reason that I showed you that picture, because I wouldn't make that video today. I wouldn't want my daughter, I would not show my daughter that music video. And if you take that feeling and expand it, to anybody that has a mass stage or a mass network and things that they're putting out. I feel like there's a massive responsibility to make sure that you're creating content that's going to affect people positively and to make sure that you're creating content that's going to put good into the world. Right. I definitely think that there is, and I, I'm not trying to get very religious here. Right? I'm not a big relig religion even though I'm a Christian religious person, but just spiritually speaking, there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. <laughs> there's positive and negative, yin and yang, as above, so I mean, I could keep going. Yeah, um, we're living in a world full of paradoxical situations. Yeah. And yep. There, and there, I definitely think that there are the, the two types of content or two types of forces as time goes on. If you look at the content, it's like they're becoming clearer and clearer. It's crazy. Mm. I'm boggling to me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I never thought of it that way because, you know, I used to get really upset in early days of like social media when I would see people popping off and get, getting really, really famous for doing the dumbest stuff, which I'm just going like, this, this is funny. It's entertaining for a little while, but if they keep doing this, they're making it seem like it's okay to behave in this way, especially when they were doing stuff out in public where it's just pure dangerous. And, and you start to think, you go like, how is this going to scale? This person can't possibly do this for forever. But at the same time, like, like you said, you're either a force for good or you're a force for, for bad. And, and you have to really decide that at an early point in your, in your life, if you're going to do content creation, that this stuff is going to outlive you and I. And some of these videos are going to be around forever. So do you really want something to be out there? You know, I see this on like TikTok, for example, like all these girls, provocative thing to talk about. But at the same time, all these girls basically dancing in, in very, very, very inappropriate clothing for, for you know, a social media platform, or just in life in general, right? They're just walking, you wouldn't walk around like that. So why would you put that out there just to get a bunch of random people's appreciation or, or, or validation is the right word, really, you know, to get people's likes and comments and this and that and objectifying you as if, yeah, okay, you're beautiful, but at the same time, they don't care about you. They don't actually care what happens to you. And and really, like, it's, it's interesting because... I'm starting to think now that I want to have children soon. H how would I want them to kind of grow up in this world with with social media and, and with the content that's 
pretty much like a fire hose, you know, you anywhere you go, it's just an unloaded crazy amount of content. So like, yeah, I think for me, I would like to add to the the good side and hopefully give people more things that help them, you know, introspect and look at things from a different perspective. And maybe that can, you know, change your whole world that really like one conversation can change everything. And that's really it. <laughs> hey, man, now more than ever, you have to be very proactive about being the, the your own filter. Yeah, because there's all types of content, especially you're, you're wanting to have children. And, and I'm thinking about my children as they grow up, they are completely barraged and inundated with content from all directions, everywhere, mm. even subconsciously, you know, just driving down the road, there's screens right. everywhere. Right, right. So we have to be very conscious about what we let inside our brains and inside our minds, um, because it will affect us. It will for sure. And, um, you know, I agree with you 100%. It's, uh, <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a different type of world today. And, um, than, than I, than I grew up, I'm 42, 41, <laughs> I'm 42 this year. You forget you're younger, right? You're, I, I just turned 28 this year. Just yeah. 28, right. So w- once you get past like 38, then you start <laughs> like having to do what I just did. Um, I hear you. But so it's a, it's a way different world, even for you from when you grew up to what me growing up is dramatically different. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it can be very toxic, man. You self image and uh, the ability to like how you form your, your image of self and image of ego and image of all of it uh, with all the different things that are subliminally affecting the way you think and the way you feel about yourself. It's almost scary. It's, it's, you know, it's almost it's it's tough, man. It's I'm not trying to be negative about it. No, no, no. But you it's know, overwhelming, man. You, it's, you make a good point, and and I would like to end it with this and say this. As far as I can tell, there's enough people that exist creating content today that are a force for good, yes. and are trying to do the right thing. That I think it's going to eventually supersede all the negativity. Because here's the thing: it's like the lowest common denominator problem, right? Like social media is there to grip and attend, get, grab your attention. At the lowest level, what do people gravitate towards? Negativity, stuff that's about violence, funny humor, you know, sexual content. Like these are sort of the, the, the lowest, lowest common denominator, you know, in marketing for, in perpetuity. I mean, I think it's been like this forever. Right, like yeah. it doesn't matter what time scale you've been, you've coming from. So, <laughs> yeah, and and but now, it's because everybody has the ability. I I think you almost owe it to society to, if you have something good to say, to say it and not to hold it back and not to worry about what other people will think about it. Think about what you would do. Would you do this for your children, maybe, and then do it for them? You know, maybe maybe it'll outlive you. What if what happens if you die and you left a bunch of content for your kids to like look at? You know, I think about that because I don't know what's going to happen at all. So maybe I'll just leave a bunch of these conversations around that if nobody else ever sees them, maybe they'll look at it someday. No different than how we've grown up watching home movies. You know, it's going to be like, I want to see my dad's YouTube channel from 2020 (laughs) or whatever it is. You know, it's kind of crazy, but. I appreciate the fact that you are one of the people, one of the one of the individuals that I've come across who is experienced in all the right technology and, and the trade, but is also trying to be a force for good and actually trying to help people. So it's been a pleasure, Jason, to get to know you today. And, and I hope that this conversation was good for you as well. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed and, it very um, much. Hopefully you'll be down to do it again, because I would love to continue gaining some more insights from you and, and maybe even work with you and your skills, you know, because... I, I think I think I've been blessed to be given this ability that I have, like sort of this personality, this ego this, that's here in this body. You know, it, it it has some unique skills, and I think I'm at a stage in my life where I just want to. I'm keep doing just like reps and sets. I want to get better at communicating and articulating ideas and making few people feel more comfortable and talk about things that is, are not so easy to talk about. Because for me, I'm okay with doing that. I, I, I feel comfortable actually talking about uncomfortable things. That actually, That's actually the, the arena where I feel more comfortable. The surface stuff makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, we're not talking about anything real here. We're talking yeah. about weird stuff, right? So that's partly why I've, I've been starting this. And I think meeting with you is, is twofold, of course, to get content, but more importantly, to get your connection and to have you as someone that I can you know come to for help if I need it. So... 
thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And I, I send you all the love and blessings in life. If I can do anything for you at all, please don't feel it or reach out. If you don't hesitate to reach out. I won't. And, you know, to quote an old movie called Ghost, Patrick Swayze, ditto. Like 100%. Everything that you just said completely describes how I feel. And, uh, yeah, I would happily do this. And it was a very natural conversation. I think you're very good at what you do. And I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing a lot more of your content. And you're going to be doing this for a while, man. I hope sure. so. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Hey, guys, thank you again for checking out this episode. Remember, there's a video component that you can also watch. And you can keep up with me on YouTube at Blossom Media Studio or on Instagram at The Real Abinov. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.